Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hi, friends, and welcome back. I want to show you another uh, postcard from Kevin who sent those pictures. Just incredible. This is a picture that Kevin sent of a girl kissing the ground during kind of a religious festival in Ethiopia. So apparently, Kevin, you've taken a lot of missions trips. And again, these pictures are so good because they just show the need out there on the mission field, how sad uh, that these children are living in darkness, need the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And these uh, pictures are great, great uh, prayer reminders for me, Kevin. So thank you for that. One more to show tomorrow. So I hope you'll join us for that. We're in Mark chapter 14, everybody. And we're going to begin today in verse number four. We're in the middle of a story that took place in the life of Jesus, actually on the Sabbath day, right before Palm Sunday, so the day before. And we read that chronology in John 12, but obviously the story that we're referencing here is in Mark chapter 14. I love comparing the stories of the Gospels with each other because they're complementary. They, not complementary I, but complementary E, in, the, in that they com- they complete each other. They complement each other in that sense. So as we look at the different perspectives, the different stories, and put them together, they don't contradict each other, but as we take the details and put them together, it gives us, it gives us a more complete understanding of the story. So for instance, in this story, the alabaster box of ointment, by comparing the stories we understand, and putting them together, we get a more complete and composite view. Matthew 26, Mark 14, John 12. For instance, here in Mark 14, we learn that some people are critical of her. In John 12, we learn that the chief critic is Judas. In Mark 14, we, we see the criticism stated, but in John 12, we see the motive for the criticism. Judas was actually embezzling money. In Mark 14, we see the woman anointing the head of Jesus. In John 12, we see the woman anointing the feet of Jesus. Now, which one is true? Both. She does both, but we're getting a view from each one. So I love how the Bible complements itself. Verse number four, this is the reaction of the other people in the room when Mary, in great servitude, in great devotion, with great sacrifice, and mostly with great faith, offered this, this offering, this, this anointing of the Lord. Well, what's the reaction of the others when she does this? Well, look at verse number four. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? I find that so sad on so many levels. So here's a woman doing something magnanimous for the Lord. She is making this great financial sacrifice. She's serving, washing feet, anointing the head. 
She is loving. She's doing something in faith. I mean, you can't find a more pure example of sacrificial giving and love and faith than this. And Jesus is going to commend her for all of those things in just a moment. And yet, what is the reaction of the people in the room whom I might say are the most faithful followers of Jesus? So the reaction we're about to read is not the reaction of religious leaders or the unsaved world or the stated opponents of Jesus. No, the reaction that we see in Mark chapter 14 and verse 4 is the reaction of those who claim to be the most ardent followers of Jesus. Indeed, they are the disciples. They are those that claim to have given their whole lives to Jesus. If anybody would be excited about another person making a sacrifice to the Lord, it should be these who have sacrificed their lives and their time, uh, their future to the Lord. And yet they're mad. The Bible says they have indignation within themselves, that they have a burning inner anger that comes out in critical comments. The Bible teaches that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So here are people that have this anger inside. They can't keep it inside. Why? Because undealt with anger is always going to come out your lips. It's always going to show up. That's why David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David understood that, boy, it's more than just guarding your tongue. The Bible says in James 3, nobody can guard the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And then the Bible goes on in John uh, James 3 to tell us where a uh, wh- where the tongue's evil comes from. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, uh, James 3 goes on to say. So it's a heart issue, isn't it? And these men have a heart issue as they begin to criticize what this woman has done in good faith in sincere service to the Lord, they criticize it. And watch their criticism in verse number four, where they say, why was this waste of the ointment made? What a waste this was. So think what they're saying. They're saying what she has done for Jesus is a waste. Giving it all to Jesus is a waste. Making a lavish contribution to Jesus was a waste. Think about that statement. And sometimes people look at you and they look at your lifestyle. They look at your sacrifices. They look at your giving, perhaps. Not necessarily even just financial giving, but the giving of your time. You're always at that church house. You're always serving God. You're always, what a waste. You get a life. And yet this is a life, isn't it? And it's the greatest investment we can make. But always understand, there are people that will look at your commitment to Christ and call it, criticize it, and call it a waste. And is it not also interesting, and this is ironic, that people, well, let me read the next verse and I'll make my next statement. Look at verse number five. They they said it's a waste. Why? Because it might have been sold. Do you see that in verse five? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. And have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. So they go on to say, this was a waste. You gave all this ointment in one fell swoop. 
You lavished it all on Jesus. This room is full of this, this odor. And yet you could have just sold it and we could have given that to the poor and that would have been far more valuable and helped far more people. And the Bible says, and they murmured against her. They're all talking under their breath about this girl. They're all talking under their breath about Mary, murmuring against her. How wicked is that? Here's the point I was going to make a moment ago, and that is, isn't it interesting how good people are at giving away your stuff, right? We're always good at giving away other people's stuff. Well, here's what she should have done with that a box of ointment. Well, wait a minute. It's her box of ointment. Oh, she could have sold it for this much money and given it away. It's always funny how clear our thinking is when it's someone else's material goods. And yet when it's our own material goods, how much more parsimonious we are, how much more frugal we are when it's our own. And is it not interesting that the first person that criticized her, according to John 12, was Judas. Judas, who was not interested at all in the poor, but simply wanted to give to the poor as a pretext to smuggling, embezzling uh, some of that money for himself. And that's exactly what John's gospel tells us. So when a person criticizes they're really not revealing a whole lot about the person whom they're criticizing. No, when a person criticizes, generally, they're revealing a whole lot more about themselves. Critics tell on themselves. That's really the issue here, isn't it? Well, let's move on. So this woman does this tremendous act of service. It demonstrates her faith. She's criticized for it by people that should know better, by people, can I put it in today's vernacular, by people in the church house, by people that uh, themselves claim to be followers of Jesus. How sad that is. Now watch what happens in verse number six. And this is my favorite verse in the whole story. Verse number six, and Jesus said, let her alone. So where is Jesus the entire time that this interaction is taking place. Uh, where is Jesus when this woman is being criticized? Where is Jesus when the, the crowd is murmuring against her? He's right there. I think sometimes when we go through it in our own Christian experience, sometimes I think we ask the question, you know, where is Jesus? And may I say this? He's right there. Just because Jesus has been silent up until this point, doesn't mean that Jesus has been absent up until this point. A silent Christ is not an absent Christ. And Jesus was right there. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He knew the motives and the nature of all of it. And he spoke in due time. And Jesus always speaks in due time. And the truth always emerges and Jesus always defends his own. That's why it's important for us to leave it to him. And what does Jesus say? Essentially, Jesus says, hey, leave her alone. Just leave her alone. Verse number six, leave, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? Why are you bothering her? Why are you murmuring against her? Why are you so angry? Why trouble ye her? And then he makes this statement, she hath wrought a good work on me. 
No, what she has done, far from being wasteful, which is your claim, far from being profligate, which is the, what you've been murmuring about, no, she, what she did was good. It was a good work. Now, she, he's going to tell us here in a moment that she did it in faith, but her faith showed up in a good work. Do you know that I think sometimes in our zeal as believers to talk about the, the integrity of the gospel, we're so careful to point out that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not by works, lest any mention boast. But I think sometimes in our zeal to tell people that, that, that they are not saved by works, we forget that we are saved unto good works. I say it this way. You're not saved by faith and works. No, no, that would be legalism. But we are saved by a faith that works because faith without works is a dead faith. It's not real at all. So the Bible has so much to say about good works. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For why? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I love 2 Timothy chapter 3, where the Bible says all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. What's the purpose of the word of God? That we would be mature, perfect, truly furnished unto all good works, that we might be equipped. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. But that faith shows up in what we do. What we do, faith without works is dead. But be good doers of the word, not hearers only. Uh, James was careful to point out in the first chapter of his book. So the point here is that the faith of this woman in anointing Jesus ahead of his burying, when no one else seemed to believe Jesus that he was going to die, is commended by the Lord. He said, she did a good work Watch this on me. And you can't do a better work than when you do things for Jesus. You say, oh, wow, she was just lucky. Jesus was there during her life. She could do a good work on him. But listen, you and I have the same opportunity because Jesus said, it as much as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And so just as she did a good work on him, so you and I can do a good work on him when we serve other people. We're doing it not only for Jesus, we're doing it to Jesus. We're doing a good work on him as well. Well, we're going to stop there in verse number six. We'll finish this little story up next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. Until then, have a great day in the Lord. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.